0: Look with me in John chapter number 19. I'm going to read verses 26 and 27 this morning. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and John writes that when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. I'm going to pray for us. We've got some time this morning. Father, we want your heart this morning. Father, I don't want to preach a polished sermon today. I don't want to make my way through an outline and us leave having heard the words of man. So I submit right now, and I welcome you, Holy Spirit. You're the real preacher. You're the power in the pulpit. You're the power in the seat. You're the one who opens hearts, enlightens minds, convinces of truth. And I pray today, Lord, as I sense that there will be an easy access for us to excuse ourselves from what I'm about to say, I pray you'd cut off that access. Just let us hear your heart. And as we hear your heart, Lord, help us to long for ours to be like yours. I pray, Father, that the pandemic of abandonment and neglect and abuse of children in this generation would not be embraced as just a sign of the days in which we live. I pray that you would rise up within us holy anger against that which comes against the most innocent and vulnerable among us. And I pray, Lord, that today some will be so stirred that they move from thinking about it to acting on it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin with probably just some intro thoughts. This is not going to be a polished message. I really don't want it to be. I really want us to get the heart of God on this as a faith family. Um, I, I think it's important that all of us hear and understand what is shared today even if you don't end up being someone who participates in it, I do want to say this. It's very important that this gets um, interwoven into the DNA of New Bridge Church. And it's going to happen. And therefore, it's going to be a part of who we are. It's not a ministry we're going to do. It's going to be a part of who we are. It's going to... Some of them already know what I'm about to preach, so they're already they're pre-excited, amen. They're ready to go. Well, let me, let me just start where I think the ABCs need to be founded. It's Mother's Day, so let's go ahead and establish something that I don't want to take for granted that everybody agrees with or knows, but let me give you my first thought. Because God ordains each human life, we must also acknowledge that he ordains which child should belong to which mother. Because he sovereignly ordains each life we also must believe that he sovereignly ordains which child must belong to which mother. And so let's look at this. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1, the prophet said this, The Lord called me from where? From the womb. From the body of my mother he named my name. So Isaiah tells us that God was involved with Isaiah before Isaiah was Isaiah that God had had plans for Isaiah and a calling for Isaiah, a purpose for Isaiah before Isaiah ever drew his first breath outside of the womb. Jeremiah would say something similar. God said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1:5, God said to Jeremiah who was struggling with his calling, he said, "Before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you." That's a little more intense. Because this is preconception. This is talking from God Almighty, the Creator. He says to Jeremiah, one to whom he was issuing a call in the ministry, he said, Jeremiah, before you were ever conceived, I knew all about you you were conceived in my infinite heart before you were conceived in the womb of your mother you could not have been conceived in the womb of your mother had you first not been conceived in my heart and jeremiah the testimony from god to jeremiah tells us this that life is precious to the extent that god says life actually begins in the heart of god he has a desire He has an idea, if I can say it this way, God has a a dream about something that he wants to do. And in order to bring that past, he takes something out of his infinite heart and he wraps human DNA around it. He, He puts it in a mother's womb and therefore that purpose is not only birthed in the theological heavenly realms, but then it is gaining access to the earthly temporal realm. So every single one of you, every single one of our children, every single one of our grandchildren, every single one of our forefathers, every human life that has ever been conceived, no matter what the means of that conception were, whether holy means between a husband and a wife or what we temporary or sometimes call illegitimate means, a child conceived outside of wedlock, or the horrific means that sometimes happen in crimes against women. But know this, every conception is sovereignly given by God. Because that child is not illegitimate. That child is not a mistake. That child is not a problem. That child is the physical expression of an eternal desire. So God allows that baby to be conceived. Paul would say in the New Testament, speaking of the Lord, he said, When he who had set me apart before I was born... And called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul says, I didn't confer with anybody. What was Paul saying? Paul was a long way into his calling. He was the chief apostle in the first century he and Peter kind of moving in and out of that role but Paul had formerly been a blasphemer a persecutor one who was coming against the church but when he met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and he recognized that he had been resisting God's son the Messiah he repented received Christ and began a relationship of faith walking with the Lord and it was years later that he was able to write this down and he recognized something he said God set me up Part before I was ever conceived again the re-emphasizing that purpose precedes birth and what I want to say is this no matter who has degraded you in life no matter who has hurt you in life no matter who has abandoned you in life no matter what person has come against you to squelch you and stifle you and smother you and oppress you and resist you and neglect you. No matter what hell on earth has come against you, I want you to know that your significance is found not in the horizontal affirmation from other people, but in the fact that you were a purpose in the heart of the, the incredible, immeasurable, vast God of all. That is your identity. He wanted you here. Some might say, Well, Jeff, I'm well up in years and I, I, I haven't found that purpose yet. Was my life a waste? Not if you'll act on what you just recognized. Not if you'll act on that awareness that, oh, wow, I have a purpose, I haven't found it yet. No, it's not a waste. If you're still living and breathing, there's a purpose. Why am I saying all of this? The thing that I want to establish, and by the way, if this offends your political sensibilities, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're offended. I'm not sorry for what I'm saying because the issue of the sanctity of life is not a political football for us to punt. It is an issue of theology. It is an issue of worship. It is an issue of doxology. It is an issue where we look at God and we say, if God ordained that life to be, who am I, the creature, to say to the Creator, I don't want that life to be? And so God gives this precious life. He's sovereign. Let me give you an illustration. This is a picture that blew my mind. Can we throw that picture up on the screen and leave it up there for a moment? Y'all have that? Do you see that right there? Can you see it? It looks a little blurry from where I am, but do you see it? Nick, we don't have the close-up of the hand. Do you see what's in his hand? Can you look at the hand that's raised? Do you know what that is? Forgive me, it's a little delicate, but it is called an I-U-D. It is a 99-point-something-effective type of birth control. And it was implanted in the mother of that child. And that child has come through, and along the way preceding him came out the IUD. And As if to say to everybody, hey, you might want to get your money back on this because God's sovereign. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's just an incredible thing to me to think that even when we don't think it's the right time, and there's a lot of us in the room that weren't prepared for the timing when God decided he was prepared for the timing. I talked to somebody just last week, and they're expecting a child, and he was like, man, we weren't counting on this right now. I said, oh, but God's got this, man. It's a purpose. It's a plan. It's wrapped in DNA. He doesn't make any mistakes, and that timing means that you need this child now, and this child needs you now. So it's a beautiful thing to think about that. I just love that picture, by the way. It just kind of blows my mind a little dude saying, uh-huh. He's got it up, a little guy or a little girl. I don't know which one it was. But it's just a beautiful thing. And it just reminds me, look, many are the plans of man, but God orders our steps. And so when the Lord, I mean, I think about that child, and not that he has or she has any more purpose than any other child, but I'm thinking, man. That's that 99 point something percent that that child's not coming into the earth because of the medical uh, uh, prevention of that. And God said, I don't think so. And so I think that little girl, that little boy's got purpose on his or her life. Well, friends, we all do. It's a beautiful thing. We need to remember that. Children are not a burden. Children are not a mistake. Children are a challenge. They're hard work. If you're doing it well, it's hard work. And children are wired by God for His specific purposes that outlive and outlast the parents for the most part. And so in other words, my job is not to make my son sitting on the first road to become mine, mine, mine. He doesn't have to be like me. He's not to do everything that I do if God doesn't want him to. He's got a destiny, a purpose, and a plan that God has for him. And I am to train him up in the way that God has designed him to go. And when he is older, he will not part from that. And so, friends, when we think through these things, we've got to recognize that God's purposes for our children are as diverse as God himself is in the many ways he displays himself. And when we think about the generation in the last 50 or 60 years in America with the infanticide going on in our nation under the banner of women's rights, and we see that it has now become something that it, vicious war, rhetoric wars and, and even violence at times from both sides of the aisle. We, we see that the enemy, the dragon, wants to breathe out his fire and exterminate a generation with millions of them, millions, having gone the way of death when God never intended For those parents to do that now this is not about guilt i'm well aware that in any church gathering there are many who have committed that sin but i want you to know this the blood of jesus christ the word of god says cleanses us from all manner of sin so this is not about guilt there is grace for all but while i am giving grace i want to say this that nationally and in the church we need to have our spines stiffened on this issue and we don't need to be bullied politically in order to abdicate our, our, our commitment scripturally, theologically, and doxologically. That we are the people of God. And if God ordains a life, who are we to exterminate that life? And so, we see that the, the babies, the mothers, they're paired together. I love, I love what Jesus did on the cross there with John and his mother. Jesus was not going to be able to care for Mary. It's very interesting, it's, a, it's almost a flip paradigm. Jesus wanted John and Mary together, not so Mary could care for John, but John could care for Mary. Think about this with me, why did he do that? Jesus had other brothers, it was their responsibility to care for Mary. But Jesus looked at John as he hung there on the cross and he looked at his own mother and he declared that there would be a transaction. He declared something. Jesus compassionately created in that moment A mother-son relationship between two people that were not blood-related. He did that in a moment. The Bible says that John took Mary to live with him and presumably his family at that very hour. Jesus sovereignly declared with compassion, you take care of her. He put a mother and a son together that were not blood-related. He expressed the desire of his own heart, and he sovereignly declared that that relationship was meant to be. He gave a son to a mother meeting her need. He gave a mother to a son meeting his need. And both the mother and the son come into alignment in that moment with the desire of Jesus. Look what he's doing. He's creating a family. He's creating a family. It's a microcosm about what I want to talk to you about today. And in doing this, Jesus Christ visibly illustrated in this giving of Mary to John, he visibly illustrated that kingdom relationships can carry more significance than blood relationships. And friends, the fact that Jesus knew that his kingdom brother would take better care of his mother than his earthly brothers who were not born again at that time, they were not saved until after the resurrection. We, we see that Jesus said, I want to put together something that carries out my Father's will on earth after I'm gone. So Jeff, what does that have to do with what we're going to talk about? I want to talk to you about the Father's heart And answer the question, my second point, what about those who have no ongoing mother? What about children who have no mother? There's a lot of different ways those mothers are taken from children, but the end result is a motherless generation. We'll see in some of the verses I'm going to share that because the Bible was written in ancient times, almost all of the the pronouns are found in the masculine. But when you hear the word fatherless, I want you just to go ahead and, in a holy way, assume motherless too. Fatherless, motherless, parentless. We're talking about children who have lost that first layer of protection, nurturing, and provision. So let's look at this. In Hosea chapter number 14, in verse number 3, it is a very simple, but it's an all-encompassing statement. In you, Father God, the orphan finds mercy Psalm 2710, when my father and my mother have forsaken me, the Lord will take me in. What a beautiful verse for those of us that grew up in broken homes and know that, that feeling as a child of, of being abandoned and watching one or both parents walk away. This is a precious verse, Psalm 2710. When my mother and father forsake me, and sometimes that forsaking is because they choose to. Other times they, we, we, we can be forsaken in death when our parents die and we find ourselves orphaned. But the, the regardless, God says, here's the remedy. I'm going to be your father. I'm going to take you in. When circumstances or when parents volitionally abandon and leave you, I want you to know you are not without a parent. You actually have the greatest parent that could ever possibly be granted to anyone if you will receive him as father, if you will view him as father, if you will be loved by him as father. He will be a father to you like your earthly father or mother never could. We see in James chapter number 1, the famous verse in verse 27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, the first thing he says, to visit orphans, he adds, and the widows and their affliction. And then the holy aspect, to keep oneself unstained from all of the world. Just think about this. James is writing, and the whole book of James is is dealing with how we live out our faith. James doesn't seem to be writing with a whole lot of smiles he has got kind of a furrowed brow he's intense he is kind of like the 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 cement mixer of all the apostles and he's just turning this stuff around because he wants to pour strength into our lives when James writes this down he's talking in the very first chapter He's saying we're going to break through a lot of the clutter, and I want you to know something. If your expression of your relationship with God, it's typified by that word religion there. That's not a word we enjoy in our day, but in the proper context, it's a good thing. That undefiled, pure religion is this. What are you going to say, James? Don't go to R-rated movies? Don't look at porn? Don't curse? Don't get drunk on the weekends? Make sure you abstain from intimacy until you get married. Now listen, all of those things may have their place to which we should address it, but that's not what James says. James doesn't go into a a moral list of codes like the Pharisees would. James says, the thing that shows that your heart is pure before the Lord and undefiled is when you look at the helpless, here, the orphan, and you visit that orphan in his or her affliction. James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, could have chosen a whole host of things to describe what um, unalloyed faith looks like when it's lived out. And the first thing he picks is to look upon the helpless, the orphan and the widow, and move to them in proactive compassion. He, He doesn't simply say to nod our heads, give them the old, good, evangelical, I'll be praying for you. James says, I want you to wrap some shoe leather around your theology, and I want you to go to them. I want you to help them. For the sake of keeping in context, we'll leave the issue of widows for another day, but to think of these children. Now, you've got to remember it wasn't until Christianity began to take root in the world that a culture would regard children with any sense of value. As a matter of fact in Greek culture and Roman culture and uh, really some of the ancient cultures especially in the Assyrians, Babylonians, even the Egyptian culture culture, you, you see even in the pages of Scripture what horrific treatment was perpetrated upon children. You look in the days of Pharaoh when they were searching for uh, the child that would deliver the people of Israel uh, from, from Egypt, and that, that decree was given. They were seeking to stifle the population growth of the Israelites, and so Pharaoh's decree, I mean, he, he almost just kind of with a brush of a hand just said, well, well, kill all the babies, kill all the male babies, kill all of the male Hebrew babies. And Moses, by God's sovereign plan, escaped out of that infanticide. You see it in the days of Jesus when Herod was wanting to make sure that no king was born under the Jews and in a fit of paranoia, not wanting to be inconvenienced, not wanting to be threatened in his own private little domain. He gave the edict, kill all of the Hebrew babies, kill all of the boys two years and younger. And then we see it all throughout history and even in the the Greco-Roman Empire. A father, a head of household, and these were not believers. We're talking about pagans. They, when, a, when a baby would come in, the father, in many situations or in many, many cultures during a long host of time, a long host of years, that father would literally give a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And if the thumbs down went over a newborn child, that child was taken and abandoned and left either to starve to death or to be eaten by animals. Now, do you know that it was in this scenario where the people of God, as the church began to grow in the first century, the people of God living in a Greco-Roman culture, they realized what was happening to these children. And they would go and get the children They would go and rescue the children from the street side. They would go and rescue the children from the garbage dump. They would go and rescue the ones that were abandoned. And it was the Christians who came, first of all, in honor of God and in compassion to the weakest who said this, we cannot allow this for to go on. It's a norm in our culture. It's accepted by most everybody, but it is foreign to the heart of God to let these children perish. We are the people of God. We must come to their aid. And they did, even to their own danger. The authorities, Greek authorities, Roman authorities were at times infuriated with groups of Christians who would rescue these babies. Friends, there's a lot of parallels I could draw to our culture today. I think the wise among us can draw those parallels on their own. The question is, is I'm not seeing the parallel response from the church that they saw in the first century. We're not doing what we could. Now, it's not as extreme because we live in a dignified America and where the church has abdicated her, her calling and her privilege and her opportunity. We have given that, Greg, Greg Mason prophesied this in the, in the uh, uh, prayer room this morning, said some prophetic words over this. We have given all of that to the government. And the church has said the government will take care of the children. The government will make sure the orphans are well-fed and well-sheltered and well-clothed. And meanwhile, please, the church might say, don't inconvenience us. We have our own lives. We have our own children. We have our own plan.'" Now, that may be an extreme, but I'm trying to be extreme this morning because I don't teach on this all the time. And so I feel like one of those ice breaking ship that moves into Antarctic and it plows through the ice and breaks up the ice. So a pathway can be cleared and we need to walk that pathway. So as we go further into this in Isaiah chapter number one, verses 16 and 17. God says through the prophet, again, in the first chapter, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, seek justice, seek justice, correct oppression, correct oppression, correct oppression, and bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. I have to discipline myself right now because I can tell you one of the large places my heart has been in the last 12 to 18 months is the fact that God is bringing about a, a sense of, of justice in his people in America. There's a lot of oppression. There's a lot of injustice. A lot of it is racial. Um, I don't know if you've seen the uh, documentary on Netflix called 13th. It's a reference to the 13th Amendment. I would encourage all of you who are especially white in this place to watch that to understand culturally and systemically the injustice that has been a part of this nation since its founding. That's a different message from another day, but that injustice is not just racial. That injustice is social. It's also portrayed in the, the family unit in our culture where children are left. I want you to think about this. What could be more unjust than a helpless, vulnerable baby an expression of the heart of God to be born into a world and somewhere before they are mature or old enough to process it, their their parental units, one or both, are stripped away from them. Sometimes siblings moved into different families when parents are taken out of the equation. And, And those children are left and all they have is the cold machinery of state government to care for them I I've heard enough of the stories where yes it breaks my heart but it, it, it's got to do more than make us feel sad where a sibling in one family and a sibling in the same family and the parents are out of the picture for whatever reason and those siblings are taken. Um, Custody of by the government and and the government has no places for the children to stay together So one has to go here and one has to go here. And so they've not only lost their parents. They've lost each other Say well Jeff that's a problem out there somewhere. It's right here in our county We'll give you some statistics in a minute, but this is what God says. He says bring justice to the fatherless We, We can pray and we should But ultimately, sometimes our prayers are responded to by the Father with Him saying, okay, y'all are praying great down there. What I'm asking you to do is work real hard at balancing the scales. Bring justice to those children. How does that? That means if they've lost something, work hard to replace it with something. Now, nothing can replace, in one sense, a biological mother and father, but I want you to know in some of these situations physically mentally emotionally for these children the best thing for them to do is be removed from that situation but my friends they're, 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 where do we want those children to go think with me through this i'm not lecturing I'm, I'm, I'm seeking to stir up your hearts and your minds and your wills where do we want those children to go do we want them to go into pagan homes do we want them to go into homes that are mercenary and they say more foster children means a bigger check from the government every month and so bring me another kid because that just gives me a little bit more money. Is that where we want them to go? Forgive this politically incorrect statement. Do we want them to go into Muslim households or households of other cult, uh, cult members? Different cults that will teach them uh, uh, um, a, uh, a prostituted version of who God is. And corrupt their minds with false doctrine. Man, it got quiet in here. If you can't, if you can't say amen to the stuff in here, you're probably not saying it out there. I want you to know, I don't want any kid raised under the banner of Islam. I don't want them raised by cults that, 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 that twist the nature of Jesus Christ. I don't want them raised by pagans that are even polite and moral pagans, but tell them there is no God, there is no salvation, there is no hope. And so money becomes their God, and success becomes their God, and beauty becomes their God, and achievement becomes their God. And that's where so many of these kids are going. While we as the church, we're just saying, somebody ought to do something. And I can tell you, God is saying, New Bridge is going to do something. New Bridge is going to do something. New Bridge, you're going to do something. Psalm 68, verse 6. Let me give it to you in three different translations. God settles the solitary in a home. God places the lonely in families. God provides homes for those who are deserted. Who's he speaking of there? He's speaking of children that are motherless. He's speaking of children that are fatherless. He's speaking of children that have... It's not the house that they've lost, it's the home. That Greek word oikos, it's not just a yogurt in the yogurt section. That Greek word oikos describes a a family unit. It's the home, the people in the home, the land that the home is on. And and God says, I want to bring oikos to those who have not. So I'm going to go a little bit further here. Let me give you just a few statistics about our our own county here. And then I'm going to tell you how you can begin to learn about the degree to which you and I can get involved right here in this church. Foster care in Georgia is in a crisis. I don't think that's an overstatement. In 2015, in our home state of Georgia, there are over 17,000 foster children in the system. 17,000 foster children. In our own county, There's over 650 children in the county that our church is in, in Gwinnett County, Georgia. By the way, you may not be aware of us, there's no fewer than six foster children that are in this church right now that are being provided for by families who have not only caught God's heart on this, but they said, put our hands to this, Lord. And they're some of the very people that are going to help us as a church family to grow in this. Six right here in our home church. You say, well, Jeff, I, I, I don't know who they are. Well, right. You know why? Because they're part of the body of Christ. They're, listen, they're, they're kids. They're normal kids who have had anything but normal challenges. So these families have come alongside, and, and at times it's, it's, it's more difficult than we can imagine And at other times, it brings more reward than we can imagine because of the preciousness of watching God work in these children and making them whole. Foster families who are blessed to have a care team around them are 95% likely to continue to providing care. But without a team a support team, a care team around them. Without a team around them, those foster families are only, they're less than 50% likely to continue on in the process. You see, not everybody here is going to be called to foster children, but everybody in this church has an opportunity to help in some way. God may not have raised you up to bring children into your home. He may, by the way. I want to leave that door. As a matter of fact, I want to take that door off the hinges so it remains open in your heart and in your mind because some of you, I believe, are in a place in life where you should deeply consider, Lord, I, I, I hear the stats, I, I sense the need, but are you calling me into this? And some of you can be raised up this year, this year, to radically change the lives of children by bringing them into your home. Others of you, that may not be God's will for you, but God's going to give you the wisdom, ability, and the information to where you can come alongside of those families who are called to foster the children in their home. And you're going to be one of those people who says, how can I help? And we have a whole host of ways that you can help and be a part of a process. And we need them all. We need families that will say yes to bringing in children, but we also need families that will come alongside of those who are fostering children. And they say, we will help you and pour into these children. And so when we think about all this, let me give you an outlet. For everybody that's interested in learning more about potentially fostering a child, or those of you that are sensing right now to de- a desire to come alongside as a helper, as part of a care team to those in this church in Newbridge Church who are already fostering children next Sunday after the morning service. There will be a luncheon provided, and the, those that head up King's Kids Ministries, and our ministry here is called Bridging the Gap. That's going to be the name, that is the name of our foster care ministry, Bridging the Gap. And that's something we can all become a part of. Next Sunday, after the morning service, there's going to be a luncheon and an informational meeting. And what we need you to do today is to sign up in the lobby saying, we're going to be there. Please prepare a little lunch for me and whoever's coming with me. We want to be there. We want to hear more. Next Sunday. Now, if you're not able to attend next Sunday, there will be other opportunities, but if you are able to attend next Sunday, it certainly isn't going to hurt you to eat some good lunch and to sit down with some people, and you're going to connect with what God is doing in their lives to help these children. So as I close this afternoon, let me give you these verses and this last thought. The Bible reveals that caring for the fatherless and the motherless is a priority in the heart of God. This is not a side thing. This is actually a high-volume expression of the Father's heart. And By the way, can, can I just go there with this? Are you saved? You don't have to answer out loud, but are you saved? Then you're also adopted. Every saved child of God is one whom God adopted into his family. We actually belong to another family. We were actually the sons and daughters of disobedience. The scriptures are not real favorable towards us that we're actually titled in various places children of darkness and children of the devil. The Bible says we were actually enemies of God, alienated in our wicked works against them, hostile in our minds against them. Some of us say, I don't ever remember being like that. Well, you were saved young and you didn't didn't understand it. But listen, the Bible is just going to go ahead and be true whether you felt it or not. That that's the family we were in. But God in grace and mercy, he chooses us. He gives us the gospel. We respond to the gospel by faith and we are no longer in that family that would have led us to death. We are adopted through the blood of Jesus into the Father's family, into the family of God and there we will be forever and ever and what God does for us spiritually and theologically, He then sends us back out to do vis- visibly and physically to go to those who are in no family are in the wrong kind of family. And he says, bring them into your family. And let me tell you this, a child that comes into a Christian family in foster care has a much higher rate of entering God's family than a child apart from that Christian family. And so let me give you these verses just to give you the heart of God. I'm not giving a formal invitation this morning. I'm not calling a bunch of people forward. I'm not going to have the worship team come up. We're going to leave thinking this morning on certain Sundays. We just need to leave thinking We need to leave grateful. And by the way, man, Lord, help me this morning. Let me steward this. He's not done stretching you. He's not. I know that you you kind of resigned from the stretching phase, but it was a premature resignation. Because he's not done stretching you. And so, and I'm not going to lay this on you. There's no guilt here. I'm just the spokesman. I'm I'm saying, because he's not done stretching you, I think it would honor him to consider for all of us, is he going to stretch me through this? Is this something that as he stretches me, I do. And I make a difference. I was speaking with a couple, well, actually the wife of a couple in our church who were not, necessarily young. She made an issue. She told me, she said, I want you to know this happened just X amount of years ago. We were not kids. But they fostered a couple of children. They're here in our church. They fostered a couple of children. And they were not in their 30s. I doubt they were in their 40s. They were probably in their 50s, and I would say mid, maybe somewhere mid to late 50s. And they fostered these children for a while. And through that fostering process, their kids, their natural-born kids, began a relationship with these two foster kids. And these two foster kids were eventually adopted by their two natural kids, and so their foster children are now their grandchildren. Isn't that good? We have another couple here that had to wage war, a legal war, in order to bring a child that was in danger being sucked up into the foster system and perhaps maybe being placed in a situation that was not going to be altogether healthy and these two grandparents went to battle for this child that had no advocate and they fought and it was a tough Fight. It was a legal fight. It was in court, but they knew that they, as followers of Yeshua, followers of Jesus Christ, they knew that that child's greatest hope was to be in an environment where they could raise that child. And so they weren't in their 30s. I don't think they're in their 40s. They may be in their 40s, but if they are, they're probably on the upper end of that. And they fought and God gave them favor and they won. And now that child, a grandchild is now their daughter. And so, friends, when we think about this, this is not out there somewhere. We've got 600 children, 650 at least, foster children in our county. If I'm not mistaken, there's uh, fewer than um, 100 families in Gwinnett County that are fostering. Fewer than 100 families. And we've got these 600 kids. How many churches do we have in Gwinnett County? We've got, we got them everywhere. We've got churches within churches. I mean, they're everywhere. Why are there 650 children that don't have anywhere to go? I mean, I bet we have 650 churches in Gwinnett County. We probably have close to that in Lawrenceville. Good night alive. One child at church? I don't know, just thinking out loud here, but... The point being is that people that are not in the particularly convenient season of life have said, Forget convenience, that child needs me. And God stretched them. He's not done stretching some of us. These last verses, let me me give you this. In Deuteronomy chapter number 10, and I love the book of Deuteronomy because for brass tacks people like me, we just want God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? Tell us how to live. As God's giving instructions to Israel how to live, this is one of the things he says in Deuteronomy 10, 17, and 18. The Lord your God is, a, is God of gods and Lord of lords. The great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. My friends, this is remarkable to me as a student of the Scriptures There's this big declaration about God saying, this is who I am. I'm God of gods. I'm Lord of lords. This is how I am. I am a just God. I do not uh, regard people with partiality. I treat people consistently with my nature. And God says this, I won't take a bribe. In other words, you can bribe the most dignified human official. God says, you can put up your money when you come to me. I I don't sell my favor. And so God's given this big self-revelation of who he is. He says, I'm the God of gods. I'm the Lord of lords. I am mighty. I am awesome. And he's got the right to say that. He's the only one that can boast and it be perfectly holy. And so God is bragging on God so that people will know how good he is. And then after that self-revelation, the first thing he says is, and you know how you see it? I defend the fatherless. The first expression following that self-revelation is this. That God defends the fatherless, the motherless, the child that has no parent. God's heart is not detached. Listen to me. I know our minds get wrapped around all of the what ifs or how comes. I get that. But I want to tell you, there's no such thing as an illegitimate conception There isn't, because God is the author of life, and if it's illegitimate, that means it's less than holy. Now, the act may be illegitimate, but the child never is. The child is precious to the Father heart of God. And when he sees injustice, so often, I mean, the things that grip our hearts, I mean, are our hearts not ripped out? When we hear of atrocities in the world today perpetrated against children, and I'm going to tell you, I don't have the, 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 the answer that calms the, the hurt in our hearts when we say, why God, why did you not stop it? Why did you allow that to happen? I understand the, the pulse of that kind of questioning. But ultimately, we have to believe that God in His providence and in His wisdom and in His holiness has a plan for even the most horrific things that happen on earth. When a child experiences the pain of no mother and or no father, God does not say to that child, oh man, it could have been great for you. Do you know what he does? He says, my heart is stirred for you. I'm going to plead your case. You'll find that description in the Old Testament. He pleads the case of the father. Who's he pleaded to? He pleads with us. He pleads with us. He stirs our heart. He stokes our compassion. He he wrenches us away from our comfort and our ease. And he says, my child, will you be a parent to this child? His heart is stirred for the fatherless. Again in Deuteronomy chapter number 14, verses 28 and 29. God is giving Israel uh, codes to live by in the promised land. He says at the end of every three years, bring in all the tithes of that year's produce. So bring in all the, the crop, the first fruit of the crop, store it in your towns so that the Levites who have no inheritance of their own and the aliens, those are the refugees from other places, and the fatherless... And the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Now watch that. God's saying, you're my children and I love you. And I'm a benevolent God, and I'm a good God, and I'm not a miser, and I'm not a tyrant. And it is in my heart to bless you. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, he gives them chapters and chapters of things to consider if they want to live in the arena of his blessing. And one of the things that the father says here in this passage is he said, I want you to take care of the most vulnerable so that I can continue to bless you. That's what he says. He mentions the widow, he mentions the refugee, and he mentions the fatherless. And he mentions the Levites, too, because they didn't have land to grow their own crops. So he's like, take care of the preacher, and then take care of the, the, the pilgrim, take care of the widow, and, and don't forget the orphan. And he says, because I really want to keep blessing you. So my friends, if, if, if you do want to think down this way, this is not our motivation, but this is part of the, the equation. Our motivation is not to get something from God. Our motivation is to do something kind for the helpless, to do something Christ-like and compassionate and coming alongside and rescuing and helping them. But I'm not going to just kind of erase that part of my Bible, which clearly indicates not only here, but in other places, God says, you take care of them and I'm going to take care of you. Hey, Newbridge, you take care of those that can't take care of themselves and I'll take care of the church. I'll take care of everything you need at the church when you start taking care of in a greater degree everything that, that I want you to take care of. I'm going to give you some jurisdiction over some things, Newbridge. and I don't want you bugged and, and distracted by other things. I'll take care of that, but you take care of people, and especially the most helpless and hopeless. Last one from Deuteronomy. I'm almost done. Those are famous last words. I really thought we'd be done by 1145. I was wrong. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. There it is again. When you beat the olive from your trees, don't go over over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. What is God saying? God's saying, you already have enough. You don't got to go back and get every olive. You don't got to go back and get every leaf from the crop. Matter of fact, you got more than you need. I'm taking care of you. Make sure you intentionally leave some, the gleanings, for those that have nothing. So God is telling them literally. This is almost in, in, in terms of commerce and agriculture. He's saying when you're thinking about your produce, your money, that's how they made their money. That's how they sustained themselves. So when you're thinking about what you have, make sure to factor into your thinking and planning that you're leaving behind some for, who have nothing. And so friends, it may be that that God's not asking you to open up your doors and welcome children into your home. I hope that he is. And for some of you, I believe that he is. But I can tell you this, he is calling this church family to set aside some gleanings, to set aside some intentional um, capital to where we can come alongside of these families and we can help them do what they do. That we can be doing this together so that they're not isolated and alone in this. And then the last verse, and I really am going to close and pray. Sing to God, Psalm 68, verses four through six. Sing to God, sing praise to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice before him. Who are you, God? I am a father to the fatherless, I'm a defender of widows, and I'm in my holy dwelling. God sets the lonely and family. God says, when you worship me, when you sing to me, when you praise to me, please at times remember that I am God the Father, and I'm a father to those who don't have one. He wasn't speaking metaphorically. He was talking about his mercy, compassion, and intentionality to become father to those who have none. God's heart is so infinite that we can ascribe to Him the masculine masculine strength and authority that is part of who He is, but we can also ascribe to that limitless heart of God the maternal care, nurturing, and love. He is the complete parent, and we are to be like Him. And so, in closing, God's heart for the fatherless, which includes not just orphans, but at-risk children, is a consistent theme throughout the entire Bible. Again, James says serving the fatherless is pure and undefiled religion. This is not just a concern of God, it's a priority of God.